today on The Breakdown. We've got a cash game, and we have, well, we've got Matt Berkey, people. That's right. And when I say we've got Matt Berkey, I don't mean like he's a guest on the show. He's probably not going to be a guest on the show, let's be honest. But we have a hand featuring Matthew Berkey. And let me just say, he's certainly doing Matthew Berkey kinds of things. You know, there's a certain type of play that's just all about that Berkiness, And this, this hand is just teeming with Berkiness. You know, it's just, it's just the Berkometer is going crazy on this one. Man, oh man. It's like, it's like this hand was already, already going in whatever direction it was going, and then it went into the hospital, and it had a Berkectomy. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so this is a huge cash game, by the way. This isn't, it's a $200, $400 cash game. We have uh, notables in this game, including Justin Young, who is in this hand and plays this hand as well. Uh, and let me just say this, really big amounts of money go into this pot. Like, this is a pot that for many people listening to this and many people across the world, the vast majority of the world, this would be life-changing money to win this pot. That's the size of this pot. Let's get into it. This is The Breakdown. It's with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. <laughs> We're going to have to uh, actually create a barometer, I think. Maybe yeah, I like scientifically that. in a lab, formulate a device that tells you just how incredibly erratic your play is under the guise of being like a well-spoken man. Oh, 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 oh. Grant Dennison. Grant, who is hidden behind the curtain of I'm In the just Future. Kidding. In the future, maybe these plays will make sense. We can't know now. The truth comes out. <laughs> I just—it was just a shot I couldn't help but take. You know, it's just—it's too fun. It's too fun yeah. to to strike at the Berkster. Who I think it would be amazing to have a little like something that looks like Rick's portal gun from Rick and Morty, and you point it at like the hand, like the video, and it just starts beeping. And as you point it at Matt Berkey, as Berkey, you know, Berkey, like you know, check raises the turn with. God only knows what it just goes beep 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 beep. beep. You know, it <laughs> speeds up and gets louder, like you're, like you're tracking yeah. somebody. Yeah, That'd I actually amazing. don't think that I. The way I characterize Berkey is not how I really feel, yeah. but he certainly will not be on the show anytime soon. Is my guess, considering that he despises us. Um, <laughs> he was, he was on the show. Once he was a friend. Many he was a friend. Many a moon ago. Well, he was a yeah, friend I mean, of the podcast and friendly to both of us. Like, like we're both playing, like at different times we were playing in the World Series and like he saw me sitting uh, at a different table than him in some event and walked up to me. I'd only known him from our podcast interview, like shook my hand, talked to me for a while while, while the World Series was going on, you know, like I know he did the same with you, right? Yeah. Just well, nice you played at the same table with him actually even, I think. Yeah, I did. And yeah. he is a, he, he was a very nice guy. Super nice. We, uh. We rubbed him the wrong way with a bit of the analysis. Well, you <laughs> know, behind behind all love, there is hate. <laughs> That's yeah. what drives it. But behind all hate, Grant, there is love. So now that we're on the other side of that clover, you know, all it takes is saying the right thing, smiling the right way, maybe giving him the right kind of a gift, and bam, we're on the good side again. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. This podcast some... is where we turn it around, our relationship with Matt Berkey. All right, we're going to give him the <laughs> podcast version of Friendship Chocolates. Yes. To... Inspire friendship. Platonic, but very strong platonic chocolates. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I we would have say... A high, 
go ahead. No, you... high-minded goal here. High-minded goal on this podcast yeah. to and, repair and... a broken relationship. <laughs> and let me just say, just so everyone really understands the level of broken relationship, the reason why it's broken is because Berkey, I think, was a faithful listener of all our podcasts. Certainly, listened to all the podcasts we spoke. We talked about him on, but I think in general was a listener um, back in the day. We used to do a lot of his hands, and uh, there were multiple times. Especially, there's one notable one I would say where um, we would say we didn't think it was, his play was particularly good. And there was one where I said just very straightforwardly and strongly, it was bad. Like, it was just a bad play. I didn't say he was bad or a bad player, but I said it was bad. Um, and I sort of refused to back off. And you used the, well, in the future, when there are jetpacks and, you know, mind readers, like actual psychics running the government, maybe everyone will think this is a good play. And I was like, I guess in 2038, maybe everyone will. But come on, that's absurd. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of an absurd thing. And ever since then, Berkey's hated us. <laughs> well, hate is strong. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. And, uh, and to be clear, uh, I think what you said about him in the beginning is, while funny and a joke, maybe there's some truth to that. A little bit, right? Maybe a little bit. I mean... Maybe a little bit. There, it's possible there is. It's I mean, possible I th- there is. He certainly I think is. There is. He is well spoken. Oh. He is well spoken. <laughs> that, that, yes. that part is true. And there are plays he makes that I think, like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so those two <laughs> things seem to go hand in hand, like, you know, like a Reese's peanut butter cup, the chocolate and the peanut butter accidentally crashing into each other, you know, as one guy's on a skateboard and the other one's on roller skates. The other one's a exactly. postman delivering the mail somehow with a big jar of peanut butter as he's doing it, you know? That's exactly what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to find out if the play today is uh, how high it is on the barometer and if, if yeah. we dislike it or think it's actually a good idea. Because no matter what you think about how Berkey plays, it's damn entertaining to watch. He yeah. puts people in weird spots constantly, puts himself in weird spots constantly. He shows up with unconventional hands that you don't expect, which is really kind of his thing. He's, I mean, he's trying to break the GTO world of poker and, like, unsolve the solvers and that's he's he's doing different shit and i i'm happy that he's doing it that's for sure i'm happy that he's out there doing it i mean the kind of stuff he does is exactly the reason why we make this podcast right to try and understand what the hell is going on um from plays that seem uh like crazy or or really at, at a minimum highly unconventional um the thing about Berkey, which is a little different than like when Negranu makes an incredible play that we don't get at first or seems like so far above the rim and we try and break it down, is with Negranu, he has such a long, strong history of stuff um, and can articulate what he's doing, at least some of the time, really well, uh, that there's, I think there's more trust there. You know, like, or even someone like Dan Coleman, where it's like, okay, maybe Dan Coleman has some leaks here and there, but like, I believe when he makes these crazy, these outrageous plays that there's some real thought behind it. Like if Olivier Bousquet did that or something. And Berkey, I'm not always as sure that that's the case. That's the thing. That's the thing that makes it interesting. It's possible that Berkey is a victim of reporting in that with Dan Coleman, his success came in tournaments and you could clearly see the tournaments he was winning and there's numbers associated with that. And it generates a level of respect that is kind of obligatory or perfunctory based on those numbers, right? Correct. And with cash games, unless you have somebody go figure out and tally up everything, which is the majority of what Berkey does is play cash games. He has some tournament success, but not like he's not a hyper successful tournament player or anything. Berkey maybe is making these plays like when Dan Coleman three bet shoved ace jack suited against an under the gun razor for 30 blinds in the one drop, I thought it was terrible. 
And, you know, that's a spot that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's not terrible. But at the time, I was like, that's probably terrible. But it's Dan Coleman. So I have to give him a little bit of credit here because he's so good at tournaments against these high-level players. And if we could compile some numbers on Berkey's cash games and actually figure it out that he was a really strong winning player, it might change how we viewed these plays, right? Because we'd be like, well, I certainly wouldn't do that. Like Dan Coleman back raising all in with two fours for 80 blinds three-handed when there's a 20 blind stack sitting there like Dan Coleman did that right I but know. we still we still give him the respect based on his well, numbers I mean we gave him respect but we still ultimately decided it was a bad play too like but we yes, we tried still, a little harder though to find the light in that play because it was Dan Coleman which is to your point right right that is my point like and and perhaps if I'm this is a this is a parlay right because it has to be both that we get to find out the true numbers of Berkey's cash games, which we never will. Right. And that they happen to be like Dan Coleman ask good versions of cash game numbers, which I don't necessarily think is going to be the case if we were to find out the numbers, but there is a world. It's possible that, that that is the case and that we have to give these plays a little bit more thought yeah. and credence. And I mean, of course we give them a lot of thought and credence. We do hour long podcasts on them. We try our best to figure out what's going on there. So all this to say, we, Try very hard to give Berkey credit where credit is due, but we don't know if he deserves it or not, I guess is the best way to put it. I'm not as willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess, is another way to say everything we just said, right? That's like, a, that's like for me anyway, that's summing it up. Like, I am definitely less willing, only because it's possible I just don't understand what he's doing. But a lot of times I think he doesn't understand what he's doing, quite frankly, um, at least in the past, at least as to, to the degree that like the way he articulates him. Uh, his hands. And like uh, the best example of that is when we had him on our show, we did like a long interview with him. We we're asking about a particular play he made. And I think you would agree with this. He did not do a, not forget about articulating. He actually contradicted himself multiple times he when did. he talked about his thought process. Now, maybe that was just one hand, but he knew what the hand was coming into it. It isn't like he was surprised by all these questions. He did talked a lot about that hand to many people because it was such a notable hand and still contradicted himself in ways that really were not logically sound. And that's okay. But then, of course, we're gonna, I'm going to give him less of the benefit of the doubt as a result. So I think it's just that, that's important to know the bias, at least going in. But that said... I mean, look, I want to learn better plays. So I'm open to like this stuff being, maybe it's amazing. Let's find out, you know? I mean, here comes a, here comes a crazy Berkey play that is at, at a minimum super interesting. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's terrible. I don't know. I honestly don't know. And to preamble the play, I would say, this is a play that I absolutely do understand what his thought process is, I think. It's just the question we're going to end up asking ourselves is, was this a good time to do this? Was, was this a smart idea to actually pull the trigger on this play that is not like, it's not beyond reasoning to think that this play is is part of some sort of strategy, right? Yeah. This, this could be part of people's strategies. I, I actually don't know if I understand this thought process, but I'm curious. But I, let's talk about it. We'll get into it. I mean, I, I think, to put it better, I, I think I know the reason behind what he did. Okay. I'm not enough. sure if the way he arrived there is the same way that I would have arrived Fair there enough. or not. Fair enough. All right, well, let's out. get into it. So normally we spend the first okay. 10 minutes shooting the shit, talking about other stuff. This is, it's just, all, we're, Matt Berkey would say we're obsessed with Matt Berkey, and maybe Matt Berkey's right. I will say, <laughs> whenever I look at him and video, it doesn't look the same as all, like, the, the pictures I have in my bedroom, you know, on the walls of him. They, oh, yeah? The it's smile different. isn't as much, like, I found, I guess, the best examples of, like, the glinty smile and the happy, the happy, gentle face. Those pictures are way, for me anyway, that's the real Matt that I'm looking for, you know, the sweet Matt. And that is the quote from the episode that <laughs> will be taken 
Oh, put on Fox Sports. Yeah. And, uh, Skip Bayless. That's go, your legacy now. Go to town, Skip Bayless. <laughs> Speaking of going to town, before we get into it, didn't you have a bone to pick? Speaking of Skip Bayless, oh my you always a bone to pick with somebody. I got so into... I mean, do we even have time? I mean, uh, of course we have time. There's we, always time. This podcast could be four hours long and nobody could say shit. I do they love that about this podcast. That's one of my very favorite things yeah. about the podcast. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say exactly a bone. It's not entirely fair to call it a bone pick, but I do want to re- I want to read a tweet that was sent and respond to it. So here I think we go. you should. I think you should probably explain where the tweet's coming from sure. before you read the tweet. So I don't know exactly how we got into it, but it's uh, some podcast very recently. I talked about how. Actors have it really easy. Everyone thinks it's hard. It's not at all. It's super easy to be an actor. All you got to do, if you're comfortable at all in front of the camera, it's a piece of cake. Some version of that, right? Like, give me a break. It's Which the best job in the world. At least, you were being at least partially facetious with that. Um, I was, but only partially. Anyway, but, you know, I, I think I made it like, I think anyone who like is a, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I was, yeah. It was done certainly with the spirit of, of humor, but I also, you know, there's some truth in that for me. Just like there's truth in that Berkey joke for you at the beginning of the show. <laughs> so Kevin Mitchell tweeted at us and said, Jonathan, you have made terrible takes in podcasts before, but you have really put the cherry on top for me, saying actors, actors' jobs aren't difficult beyond getting over being in front of the camera. I'm really disappointed by your ignorance. Ooh, that's strong. That's that that last sentence is a tough one to to stomach as you try to sleep at night. Gotta, I, <laughs> so I got to respond to it, Grant. <laughs> you got a listener who is disappointed by your ignorance. Yeah. Oh, that's so bad. Here's what I'm going to say. Upset? No. He's not upset. He's disappointed. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. Be angry, man. Don't be disappointed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so first of all, Kevin Mitchell, thank you for writing in. Um, I'm glad you're a listener uh, for many reasons. One, you clearly listen to the podcast and listen to several of them. You care enough to write it and say what you think. That's awesome. Uh, we're going to disagree on this one, I'll, and I'll explain why in a second. But I'm super into the fact that you care enough to do that and keep writing. Can I agree when you with think Kevin I'm Mitchell stupid. about something? Something else before you continue? I also agree with Kevin Mitchell that you have had many terrible takes on the podcast. <laughs> well, we've been the doing the show for five years. Of course, I've had terrible takes. We put on two shows a week for five years. Oh my god! I- all of my takes have. All of my takes have been elite. So there no terrible takes for me. But you're, you're the terrible take guy. I will say, he didn't necessarily have to start with that I have such terrible takes. He could have just gotten into the meat of it. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. He had to, he had to show the gravity. Like, yes. This was the one that got him out of the woodwork. That's this right. was the one that got him tweeting, despite the terribleness of the previous that's, takes. That's true. That's exactly what it is. That's fair. That's fair. All right, so here's what I'm going to say, Kevin Mitchell. To, all, to you and all of those actor stands out there so first of all i certainly wasn't i was definitely being more extreme for the you know for purposes of theatricality and fun on the show when i say like all it's basically anyone except for david day lewis anyone can be an actor anyone can do anything that's clearly not true you're right about that um but here's what i will say and i do mean this no joking no playing it up or anything like that and and i say this by the way when you say you're disappointed by my ignorance i actually was a theater student. Like I know people I'm, I don't know if I would say I'm friends, but I certainly know people who are in movies and TV, like even uh, at least one famous person who regularly is in movies and television. Um, so like, it's not, I have no idea what I'm talking about when we say this, at least you could disagree with me, but just FYI, like I do know something about this at least. Um, here's what I will tell Here's what I'll say. Honestly, um, except for a few actors like Daniel Day Lewis I'll include Tom Hardy. There's, there's certainly more. Uh, Meryl Streep is a good example. There are more, but whatever. Um, almost any job that we see being done 
by a famous actor could be done by like hundreds of people just as well. Um, there are so many actors in LA and it's for almost all the famous actors out there. It's just a question of either you're related to someone, you know, someone, or you, you nailed that audition or they happen to pick you over someone else. I've been in the audition process. And I don't mean like on, I mean on the side of like where you pick the people even, and often it's so close. You don't even really know what to do. You know, it's like, there's three people, they're all amazing. And you sort of like flip a coin, you know, it's like, well, I sort of lean towards this one. And like, that's how Bruce Willis got moonlighting, you know, like back in the day, that was his first big break and he became a big star. And then he did Die Hard, and then he became a truly big star. But like without moonlighting, he probably never gets to do Die Hard, you know? And like, if, if, if people lean towards, just slightly towards someone else, maybe we never hear a Bruce Willis, right? Bruce Willis isn't a good actor. Bruce Willis plays Bruce Willis in everything. And that's what, that's what acting is mostly is. You find someone who, when they play themselves or whatever version of themselves they're playing, um, fits the role that you're looking for. It isn't like this person transforms into someone else completely. Now, once in a while it is, but rarely is someone so good that that means anything. Usually it's just a question of casting well. That's what I'm going to say. That's my honest acting rant. All right, I'm going to take the side of Scott Mitchell because he's not here to rebuttal. Yeah, he's not. Um, and, and I'm going to argue that I'm going to guess Scott Mitchell would, would say these things because I'm going to give him credit sure. to say that certainly you're right, that there aren't many actors who actually can truly change and embody a role to the point where you forget who the actor is, you right. know, like Daniel Day-Lewis style. Julian right, That's Moore, a rarity. But go on. Yeah, Julian Moore does that. Uh, Tom Hanks actually does that a little bit sometimes. Sometimes. Which is impressive. Sometimes. And sometimes he's just Tom Hanks. A lot and of times he's, he's just, just Tom Hanks. Hanks. Mostly he's just Tom Hanks. <laughs> but go on. He's a weird example because, um, but I, the the real counter to that is, is not necessarily that acting is all about becoming the role. It also is being a character that is has enough gravitas, is funny enough, or is intriguing enough to generate interest by the audience, and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to embody the role. A great example would be Sam Rockwell in everything being incredible, but he's always just being a slightly different version of Sam Rockwell because that's incredibly charming, but that's a skill unto, unto itself, right? To be that guy and to be able to pull that off in the structure of a movie or a TV show. Well, I would, I would say Sam Rockwell isn't necessarily a great actor. I would say he's a fun and charismatic actor and that's cool. And that is, that, that is a skill. I agree. And he brings something to the table for sure. By the way, he's a great dancer. He dances in every single role he has except for uh, three billboards because he's so good at it. Um, and maybe moon, but, um, but that's different than tr- what we, when we talk about acting, I think the actor's job is actually not to be so charismatic, even though Rockwell does it in a way that works for him. Tom Cruise, similarly, I would say, um, the actor's job really is to be authentic, like to, to, be, to make everything seem true. Like that's actually their job. And maybe in certain comedies, that's not the case, but mostly you're, that's, that's what you're going for. And I would say most of the time, it's really hard to not, like when I'm watching something to say like, oh, that's like Whoopi Goldberg did this, not the character's name did this, you know, Billy Crystal did that. I'm going for 80s comedians for some reason right now as I'm yeah, talking apparently. about actors. <laughs> um, but like, I don't think I ever think that about Dale Day-Lewis. And when I said Julianne Moore, I was specifically thinking of um, Game Change, the movie Game Change, where she plays Sarah Palin. And she completely disappears Incredible into that role. role so deeply that I actually don't see Julianne Moore when I watch the movie. I only see Sarah Palin. And to me, that is... Yep. That is what an, that's what you're supposed to be going for as an actor, but you almost never see that from famous actors. I think some of them pull it off, and sometimes you cast the right person so it doesn't matter. You cast the person who fits the role so perfectly, they don't have to change that much. Of course, they're going to change a little. But, you know, 
Daniel Day-Lewis feels like he transforms every time. You know, he's, he's special. He's a special right. guy. Final words to Scott okay. Mitchell. Go ahead. Because he got your attention. He, he got did. your attention. I'm asking for your final words. Oh, I don't have anything else to say, man. You did. I keep writing in and keep calling me out. Maybe be a little friendlier next time. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan is fragile. You I, guys should know that. He might he might talk a big game on this yeah. podcast, but he he lives alone and is he often cries. Yeah, I, he well, thinks I don't hear it because he thinks he turned Zoom off, but it's still on, and I hear him crying. I don't understand that these computers these days how to how to get the Zoom machine to close. Uh, yeah, and to be clear, living alone and crying are really not mutually exclusive for me. I've lived with other people and cried a lot too. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course, yeah, of course. Like so, I don't due, know. Due to slight insults you've taken from people on the internet. Yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed by your <laughs> ignorance, man. Oof, that's that's sharp. It's sharp. This is how Berkey All feels. Right. This is how Berkey feels. I get it now. It, it, it. <laughs> it all relates, Grant. I can't believe it, but it all relates. Although you gave you gave Scott Mitchell a little bit more credit and benefit of the doubt than Berkey gave us when he finally put the hammer down and was upset. That is true. Fair. However, Berkey's gotten so many knives thrown at him in his career. Like this is, we, I don't really get that many shots taken at me, and not not very no, strongly don't. compared to what Berkey takes. So I don't know if I got things like this every day. I maybe I would be a little you know more porcupiney with it too. I don't know. But you know what? Maybe. How about this? If you're Matt Berkey, like, take the shots, man. It's okay. Your, your game is designed to get those shots. That's good for you for people to think you're bad. Anyway, if we're wrong and you're right, you should be happy about that and not advertise. I guess the problem is he does solve for a while, so he's got to sell. Every, he's got to sell Everybody wants respect. Everybody yeah. wants respect and thinks they don't get enough. At, yeah. at the time of this taping, the Lakers just won the NBA Finals last night, and LeBron James's big speech was about how he wants respect <laughs> and, like, give me a break, dude. You have respect. That is really... <laughs> like, I, all he can be meaning when he says that is, like, call me the best player of all time, right? Because what else could he possibly yeah. be going for at this point, respect-wise? There's nothing left. Anyway, we don't have to have a yeah. NBA conversation. No, all we right. don't. Well, because we're 22 we're already, minutes in. 22 minutes in. Yeah, so it's time to finally start talking about... The poker hand. Although we did talk about poker a bit already, although not the hand. Hey, you know, podcasts have this great function where you can fast forward. But I don't think Carl did that because Carl suggested this hand. And I'm going to guess Carl listened to the whole discussion so far. Yeah, right, probably. Carl? Good job, Carl. Yeah, Carl. You, you better keep listening. Carl with a K. All right, Carl suggested on Twitter, included a YouTube link and timestamped it. That's how you got to suggest. Good job, Carl. This hand is fun. I'm kind of surprised we never got it before because it came out in 2018. And uh, it's a flashy hand, you know? Yeah. It legit is a flashy hand. I'm excited to talk about it. Let's do it. All right. Let's get to it. So it is a 200-400 cash game. Uh, there's a little weird stuff with the pot. We'll get to that in a second. But it's going to open on a player whose last name is Wong. I didn't bother to learn his first name because he is not going to be a major factor in this hand. Wong, who has 50,000 in front of him, just over 100 bigs, pretty short for this game, yeah. actually, opens to 2K. So 5X is it in, I believe, the hijack with Jack of Hearts and Jack of Diamonds. Good hand. Berkey is in the cutoff. He's got 294K. So he is hella stacked, as they say. <laughs> That's what he does. He's got nine six of hearts, and he flats. Do you think this is too loose against a 5X open? I mean, of course I do. Of course I do. If maybe if we're on the button, we could decide... Like, we're not even on the button. I would really much rather three-better fold this hand, I think. Maybe he just thinks if he three-bets, he just is never getting folds. Um, but that's possible. Like, he's certainly not getting a fold out of this hand, obviously. Uh, but 
I don't know, man. I, this feels pretty loose to me. Berkey's always I mean, going to play that's these a big guys part of. I know this is a big part of Berkey's game is yeah. like he he shows up with more hands. I mean, yeah. to his credit, it's a lot harder to do like combinatorial math against him on the river because mm-hmm. there's more combos available. So that could be part of his game. I mean, yeah, I think he wants to be able to show up with lots of things in lots of places. He is in position of the opener. He's almost on the button. They are at least pretty darn deep. It can't be that bad to call here. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't kill him for this. And certainly this is his strategic way. This is his strategic lean. Fair enough. I, I would probably fold this hand in the cutoff, but I can't kill him for it or anything. That's it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm quite sure that Berkey believes he has a strong post-flop edge over the entire world, yeah. which is why he decides to play hands like this. All, kind of a la Negrano in 2004. You know, he's like, I'm just going to be better than you post-flop so I can play right. all these hands. And Negrano was right at the time, uh, for the most part. So, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I haven't seen, like, a ton of Berkey hands that aren't big, flashy hands. I hope he's flatting big hands a lot because he flats so many hands. Like, in order to keep that combinatorial edge where it's tougher to figure out. I hope he flats big hands a decent I amount mean, if he's not going to three-bet with hands like this he, when he enters the pot. He three-bets so much anyway, though. He probably has to three-bet all his good hands, doesn't he? He just three-bets three so much? We've seen him three-betting, like, you know, queen-eight suited and king-ten suited plus one. I know that was a tournament, but, like, yeah, he's definitely three-betting a lot of his uh, in cash games, too, I have to believe. That's, that's got to be I a big I don't really weapon feel like I've seen that. I don't yeah. really feel like I've seen it. I've seen mostly he's trying to play post-flop in cash games. Yeah, maybe I've you're noticed. right. Maybe you're right. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing with Which ace Which is fair. I here. mean, three bets, three bets are much more effective as bluffs in tournaments than in cash games, yes. especially late stages of tournaments. You know? For sure. So strategically, that is sound. That makes plenty of sense. Yeah. I mean, if you don't think you're going to get any folds, you still probably do. This hand still probably plays better as a three bet, though. Like, you get heads up. You get in position. You're going to have a you're going to have a range advantage post-flop or at least a perceived range advantage post-flop a lot of the time. Right. But yeah, anyway, I mean, but to be fair, to be fair, it's not like so outside the realm of no. normalcy, right? Like if it was six, eight of hearts or nine, seven of hearts, you probably wouldn't really think too much of nope. it. I wouldn't. And I, so but it, it is, can't be, this is, it's still, it's fine. It's completely fine. Like yeah. I think you should fold. It's completely fine to call. And if you're Berkey, it's probably a laugher to call this hand. It's like, of course I'm calling this. There's nothing to think about. And that's fair. Yeah. So Berkey does flat nine six of hearts. Then we go come to a player on the button named Adrian Attenborough, maybe related to David Attenborough. Yeah, of Nature he's Australian. And you know, yeah. Although David Attenborough is British. Yeah. So oh, so oh, so you can't be related to someone if they're in a different country. That's racist. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> you've I've you've called me out, and I need to pay my penance for yeah. that. Um, that was horrible. What I said, and I apologize. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. I feel better. Yeah. Anyway, Adrian, uh, nicknamed David Attenborough has 137 K on the button with ACE seven of spades. Now we don't know anything about Wong, but does this feel like a pretty prime three bet spot against most of the field of the world? When Berkey flats the hijack opening from the cutoff mm-hmm. and you have ACE seven suited on the button. I don't know. Uh, I got to believe we, we get almost no folds with this hand when we three bet. Um, this hand plays very well on the button deep. We are on the button. We are deep, especially against Berkey. I think in a tournament, late stage tournament, this feels like such a great three bet. But to your point of like, you don't get that many folds in cash games when you three bet anyway. Berkey's never folding almost no matter what 
Like we know that. Like let alone we yeah. let alone Wong. This hand, this hand plays better deep than short. You know, and so like by three betting, we're actually creating a worse stack to pot ratio for ourselves. Although we're deep enough, like, especially against Berkey, we can get away with that. I think it's fine just to call here. I like calling. I yeah. think better than raising. What do you think? I'm 50-50 on it. Okay. I, to me, it really depends on Wong because Wong has a stack that like when we three bet, if we're three betting to a size that makes sense in a cash game where we actually want to generate some fold equity, it's probably like 10 to 12K here. And Wong's got 50K in his stack. Yeah. If Wong is relatively tight preflop, he's going to have way too many jams to justify three betting. But if Wong is opening constantly, then I think it's a little bit better to three bet. Mm. Maybe we do get some folds out of Berkey if we make it 11K, you know? Yeah, maybe we do. 11 or 12 is a lot. Maybe, maybe. Although Berkey's going to say like, well, you're because Adrian Attenborough has 137K in front of him himself. I don't think Berkey's yeah. folding. I mean, I just don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I assume he's just not folding anything here. Like that he's just super sticky and that's part of his thing. Could the, be true. This would be one anyway, of the hands Attenborough, you could fold though, even if you're super sticky. Nine, six of hearts, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Edinburgh does decide just to call. He is categorized by Poker Go as a pro, mm-hmm. so I suppose we shall treat him as such. Yeah. Um, He's got one and a half million uh, live earnings on Hendon, so. And maybe he's a cash guy anyway, so yeah. then who knows. He is playing 200, 400, and he's not categorized as one of the rich guys. He's one of the pros, so that's, that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin Young, another pro. One of the lesser-known good pros in the world, Justin Young, has 100K in front of him, and he flats 10-8 of hearts in the small blind. I guess the pot was just big enough that he decided this hand plays well enough. Robles in the big blind. He doesn't expect Robles to three-bet too often. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Somehow, Poker Go reports $9,700 in the pot now. We talked about this for three or four minutes, trying to figure out how the hell that was possible at a 200-400 game where there's four players and the big blind folds and each player put in 2K, so there should be 8,400. And then if there's an ante, the ante would have to be 1,300 somehow. Yeah. In combination, like there's no way the ante is 1,300. It doesn't total. seem possible. So either the PokerGo software is wrong, or there's some weird thing going on, like a splash pot, which I can't imagine in a 200, 400 game, nope. where like the house puts in extra money. Nope. Especially was like, here's a $1,300 splash pot. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Maybe they I were playing some I mean, weird game. Like if the button wins the pot, they get to keep everything in. If the button doesn't win the pot, they have to throw a hundred. The, the next time, the next person on the button has to throw a hundred dollars ah, in. I mean, I'm just making that, that up. Though sense. I think more likely is they just have a, a reporting error. But whatever. Well, something something in favor of maybe they're playing a game like that or something is that Wong. We, we don't know anything about Wong, but he did open to five x. That's true, which is big. Yeah. Like mostly cash game opens are between three and four X. And recently we've seen between two and three X a lot of the time. So a five X open, if Wong really is paying attention to stuff like this may indicate mm. a juiced pot. Like yeah. There might be something going on with the pot. Yeah. You know what? So let's Th- assume they're right. Okay. Let's assume they're right. Say there's $9,700 in the pot. And, uh, the flop is a good one for Berkey, Attenborough and Wong and, and young actually everybody flops something. It is 10 of spades. Six of spades, six of diamonds. So yeah. Berkey flops trips with nine, six of hearts. Justin Young out of the small blind flops top pair with ten, eight of hearts. Uh, Wong has an over pair with two red jacks. And Attenborough has the not flush draw. Pretty, it, pretty cooler-ish. It's a little sick to flop top pair four ways and sort of have the worst of it. Uh, I, yeah. I guess you could argue that Attenborough has the worst of it, but I don't think that's reasonable. I, I would say Justin Young has the worst of it here. Uh, it's kind of nuts, but that happened. Yeah. Yep. Well, he's going to check. 
he yeah. certainly should be proceeding with caution in this scenario. Yeah. It's not, not an ideal spot with top pair. Wong is going to see about that feels normal. Just try to get value from a 10, try to charge all the equity, et cetera, et cetera. Wong bets 5K, about half pot. All right. If you're Matt Berkey, do you want to raise or do you want to call with your trip sixes? What is your favorite course of action? Um, I think I want to raise right now. I do too. I want to, okay, let's see if our reasons are the same. I want to raise because one, I'm Matt Berkey and people are going to give me less credit. Number Mm -hmm. one. Number two, there's almost no sixes that someone's going to have that should be ahead of me unless it's a six suited. I guess, um, Mm -hmm. I get, no, even Justin Young's, no, the big blind didn't call. So that's it. It's like a six suited or we're actually ahead right now with our six. Although probably in the end, it's not going to, the nine's not going to play. It's probably going to be a chop if someone else does have a six, whatever. Um, But Young deciding to bet into three other players means Young has like minimum like a, oh, excuse me. You're right. Wong Um, deciding to bet into all of us. Continue. Like ace 10 feels like almost that maybe he's got a, a 10 anyway. A reasonable 10 is like the worst hand he has. Maybe he has jack 10 suited. That's like the absolute worst. And when we're Matt Berkey, no one's going to, they can't fold when they've got a hand that good just because we raise on the flop. We're Matt freaking Berkey. We overvalue everything, everyone thinks, and I, including Jonathan Levy. Um, we're bluffy or we're all these things. I love a raise right now. Yeah. And Wong could also, of course, have a flush draw embedded everybody. Yes. You didn't mention that. Um, yeah, I think the, you mostly have the same reasons that I do that we are Matt Berkey. We're not going to get as much credit for having a hand and Wong stack. Uh, that's really the main thing for me is Wong started the hand with 50 K. So he's got like 48 K heading into this flop. I think our ambition of trying to stack one of the players behind us is a little bit too ambitious. Like they're, they're a little too deep to think that we could do that that often, but Wong, if he has a 10 or better may he's not folding and he may be shoving with an overpair against a player like Berkey. So let's just try to get all of that 50 K. I, I think that should be the goal. And I think raising mm-hmm. is the way to do that. Also like other good things happen. If Wong has a flush draw, he probably can't fold it to us. He might make an aggressive play. We might be able to get it all in against him. But if one of the guys behind us has a flush draw on a paired board, they may just throw it away when we raise also yeah. has some real value as it turns out in Burrow does, but like that also has real value where we can clean up some of the equity on top of this other stuff of potentially getting in against, like when Wong bets, he's declaring he has something reasonable here. I don't think anyone's folding reasonable stuff to Berkey on a flop like this. So it just feels like such a good time to raise. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think you need to worry too much about tens full behind you. Like Wong is really the only opponent that you should think has a lot of tens full in his mm-hmm. range or all the combos of tens full. Yeah. Because you'd expect the other two guys to three bet tens pre-flop a lot of the time. I agree. So... Like when you raise, you're not walking into a trap of like losing a ton more money against tens full that often. You're losing 50K at most basically against that hand. Yeah. Like, you know, there are some hands that are beating us. Tens full is one. The other one is a six suited. And as we see, like, Edinburgh can have that since he has a seven suited. Probably Justin Young can have it too. But there's only one six left in the deck. So there's only one combo yeah, one of combo. a six suited, right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I like a raise better too. Yeah. Um, Berkey flats. He okay. maybe is hoping for a raise behind him. Maybe he's, I don't know exactly what he's hoping for. Maybe Wong has shown a proclivity to C-bet all boards in all situations. Maybe he's read, just read eights on the river and decided he's just going to C-bet everything, no matter how many opponents he has and what mm-hmm. his hand is. Maybe. And Berkey's aware of that, and he's like, well, the best way to get all of this guy's money is to just let him keep barreling. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe. Um, I mean, if people have tens behind him, you know, like they may feel obligated to call once, at least a reasonable 10. And but actually, with because you've got the flat on the button and flat in the small blind, all the 10s should be pretty reasonable, right? Like 
Justin Young has like the absolute worst 10 anyone should really ever be able to show up with here, I would think. Yeah. Maybe I'm broken up 10-7, so. but whatever. Um, so you're going to make it like attractive for those guys to come in. Again, I still like a raise because you're not going to get that much money out of, out of someone with a 10, I don't think, when Wong is bet and we've called and they're overcalling with a 10. I think it's going to be hard to get a lot of money out of them. Right. Yeah, back to my uh, ultimate goal of getting Wong's money. Yeah. Like, that's really my goal here. Yeah, I think Berkey. that's a great point. Um, all right, but Berkey does just flat. Okay. How do you want to proceed now as the grandson of David Attenborough, <laughs> who has ace seven of spades on the ten six six two spade board? Yeah, uh, it's it's an interesting spot. So Wong, okay, assuming Wong isn't just going to see bet everything, assuming he's got a level of competence here, right? Because if he's see betting yeah. everything, we could decide raising is not bad. I think raising is probably pretty good with right. this hand. But assuming he's not, and he actually has a hand a lot here. Like, or maybe almost always. Yeah. Like, he's got a 10 or better, or a flusher at least. Then I just want to call, I think, because um, I would guess that Wong, like, Berkey can have a lot of things here, too. I mean, I guess we could get in with Berkey against a worse flush draw, which would be pretty sweet. But, I mean, it's okay to get in with Wong, I guess, with the nut flush draw here. But on a paired board, I don't completely love it. We, we have this button in front of us. Like, we get to use our position by just calling more so than by raising. I think I like a call best because Wong bet into everyone. Like, if Wong checked in Berkey bet, a raise seems fine. If Wong always C yeah. bets, a raise seems fine. Wong deciding to bet means he's got, like, a hand like pocket jacks a lot, and he probably isn't folding. And then if you... yeah. If you, I agree with that. I also think Berkey has a hand. Like, yeah. I don't think Berkey is floating with two players behind him with like seven, eight of diamonds on this board right. too often. I think he's just letting that go. So Berkey usually has at least a 10. and Or, I mean, if he has his own flush draw, of course, that's another great thing that could happen. But if Berkey has at least a 10, we're going to need to improve to win because he's holding on except on just complete horrible runouts that usually let us win anyway, and then he gets to fold against us. Right. Right. So that's not ideal. So I think... The strength of both Berkey's range and Wong's range lead me to agree with you that I think I prefer just to call. One of, of course, the biggest problems, though, by just calling is our implied odds really uh, go down pretty significantly, right? Because if a spade comes on the Turner River, it's hard to get a lot of action if someone else doesn't have spades. It's just hard when you're three ways even. Like, we don't know what Justin Young's going to do, but like, so that, that, so like the chance of winning a lot more money is harder. But if we don't think we can get folds with the raise, we probably shouldn't raise anyway. I mean, it's tough to get money even if we do raise, except for the money that we raised, right? Like, if a spade comes on the turn and we yeah. raised this board and Wong has two jacks, like, we either had him beat already or we now have him beat, unless we're a complete maniac who's raising three, four of diamonds for no reason. Well, right? we'd be like, raising the gut shot, I think, if we were doing it, but I hear you. Um, that is yeah. problematic. Now, once in a while, maybe we could, you know, Wong could have, like, aces with the ace of spades. We raise, he calls, we turn a spade, and he can't, feels obligated. Can't have it. Oh, we have the ace of spades running kings with the king of spades then, which is really not yeah. nearly as good. But maybe, maybe that's a hand. That's one of the hands he probably would have to continue with when a spade comes. But then we're going to get called anyway on the turn when he checks to us. Yeah. Right? So it's not a big deal. Um, okay. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's just hard to, hard to get value once it comes in. Yep. I think that's just the way it is sometimes. Sometimes you're boxed into not being able to get the whole stack. That's yep. just the way hands play out sometimes. Um, so Edinburgh does elect to just call. I think I like it. Justin Young makes the fold of a pro. This is a, this is a pro fold. You know, it's like not that flashy, whatever. But he flopped top pair, and he knows he's in a bad situation in the 10-6-6 board out of position to the world where there's already a bet in two callers. 
10 eight of hearts, if it's ahead right now, is very unlikely to be ahead by the end of this hand. Yeah. Like, how are we going to realize our equity without hitting another 10? It seems right. like this is the type well, of fold that a lot of amateurs are unwilling to make, and it's costing them more money than they realize. Once this in a, a while. professional fold. Once in a while, it's just, you know, we can hit an eight, and we're good once in a while. But even then, like, Wong often has this beat with an overpair, like he does yeah. this time. He's going to have all his overpairs here. Um, yeah, we are down to... Two out. Sometimes we hit our 10, but then we're chopping. Sometimes we have to hit our eight and we lose anyway. This is a terrible spot. And you're right. He makes what, what doesn't, he makes a pro fold that is just like, I think easy to make for a lot of people, but then a lot of the people wouldn't even consider folding because they have top pair. And that's the whole story. Yeah, exactly. I, the vast majority of the poker playing population would not make this fold is my. Right. Oh, well, sure. Especially, I mean, in, a ca- especially in a cash game. You know, a hundred percent. The vast majority of pros will make this fold, yeah. though. If Justin Young say. had ace ten suited, I think he calls here, and I think he's right to. You know, that feels different. Yeah. I think this hand, if you're going to continue, is a race. Like you have to just try to rep tens full, knowing that you block it, even though it's tough to rep. Like that's that's better than calling in this spot. I mean, it's just like it's just so hard because there's three guys all who've decided to put money in, and if you don't think Wong is bluffing very often at all when he c bets into three other players, which I doubt he is. Um, everyone's really got something. A six looms large for one of the other players, not Wong. Um, the nut flush draw, I guess, the nut flush draw looms large, by the way. That's a hand that's never folding. Lots of hands are never folding. Like, yeah, I think, I think this is pretty clearly a fold, and I'm glad he doesn't try and get cute with it. I agree. I, I just think if I were going to choose between right. raising and calling, raising is slightly better. Yeah, I think you're right. Even though it's a lot we can have higher variance, obviously. We can knock out like King 10 and stuff like that if we raise. Yeah. And maybe even over pairs sometimes. Probably not Wong's over pair because he's so short. But well, maybe if he's really tight. You got two guys behind him. I don't know if Wong's yeah. going to call when you raise from the small blind there. You have 7-6. He doesn't, right? Well, that's not true. You have more 7-6 probably than he does, though. 7-6. Maybe you have the same amount. Man, it been, maybe you have the same amount. Would have been interesting to see what... I guess Berkey would have probably just jammed it if, if Young did raise if young made it like 25k with 100k total do you think Berkey oh. would have just jammed it or do you think Berkey would consider folding we've seen Berkey make hero folds we have seen him make heroes i can't imagine with two spades out there that he would actually find a fold um because again like the only six he's losing to is a six suited for young to have everything else is a chop anyway so he doesn't have to worry too much about that it's really just tens full that's beating him and a six and yeah. there's one combo of a six there's four combos total that are beating him that are reasonable right so that's pretty good. And Young certainly doesn't have all the combos of 10s full because right. he just flatted pre-flop out of the small blind. Right. So maybe there's one combo that's beating him. <laughs> maybe there's yeah. two if you add, take one of the pocket 10s and keep it around. Like, there's no way Berkey's folding. He, he probably just jams it to like, all right, let's get it in against your flush draw where I'm a significant favorite. That sounds fine. Yep. So, yeah, prudent fold by Young. We like it. Pot's now $24,700. We're going to head to the turn after we tell you about Nitrogen Sports Poker, where dreams take wing, and then you fly with a unicorn, and there's magical cereals all along the road that you get to sample. They're delicious. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Because every magical cereal is those little, like, self-serving, one-serving one box of cereal, because those are the best, right? Because then you can get yeah. different ones in the, the hotel, you know, continental breakfast, and... 
try them all instead of be forced to like yeah. like a barbarian like in medieval times so you could only have like honey nut cheerios cuz you only have one big box of honey nut cheerios and no i want some <laughs> i want some sugar pops i want some fruit loops i want some frosted flakes and i want some honey nut cheerios you know yeah, you're you're pretty accurate, except that you're walking down a beautiful rainbow road with a unicorn, and yep. the cereals are not of this world. They're, mm. like, better than those of this world. Ooh. It's like an exciting new adventure with each cereal that you try. That sounds amazing. Sounds nice, huh? By the way, you said well, you that's were... what that's what Nitrogen Sports <laughs> brings to you. Well, it either brings you that or our monthly tournament. One or the other. Mm. I can't remember which it is. They're both really good, probably equally good. It's either the rainbow road with the magical cereals, or it's the monthly Poker Guys tournament, which occurs the last Sunday of every month, in which it is the greatest iterated value in poker, Jonathan. Am I right when I say that? You, that you are right. And in fact, this and the Magical Serial Road both have an insane overlay. I'll tell you that much, Grant. Yes. Um, in this case, well, with the tournament, I can speak very directly to that and quantify it. Uh, they guarantee 1,000 buy-ins for the tournament. That's right. I said 1,000 buy-ins, Grant. But they cap the number of players at 300, Grant, and we usually get like 200. That means there's just always all this extra money in there. It's super weird, honestly. Not as weird as, you know, magical new cereals and a unicorn that you said flies, even though unicorns usually don't have wings. But still, still pretty amazing and weird. What makes you think that you need wings to fly in the land of nitrogen, Jonathan? You got me there. Unleash your imagination for one second. Unhinge yourself from this earth. (laughs) Okay, you're right, man. My bad, my bad. Yeah. You should apologize and I, also tell the listeners how they get access to the tournament. Oh, well, the way you get access is you, uh, you sign up using the link in the description of this podcast. If you do not use that link, this is important, you do not get access to the tournament ever. Well, pretty much. Uh, ever. Also, there are other things you will get access to along the way. For example, this time around, we were part of the survivor pool where Nitrogen puts up some free money, over $1,000, and it just get to be in a survivor pool. And it's free and it's awesome. And maybe you get to, if you win the survival pool, you get that money. Yay. This is an NFL survival pool. There are other things like that that just sort of, you get little extra perks and it costs you nothing extra. It's amazeballs. Don't be a fool. Ride the magical unicorn. I liked everything you said, except I, this is maybe the second time in the past month that on one of our multimedia platforms, you said the word amazeballs. No. And Guess what? That shit's over. Stop saying that. When nobody else did I it. say nobody it? Likes, nobody likes hearing it. I, it might have been in a video that we released recently no. that I edited, perhaps. No way. It's, oh, yeah. It's I definitely didn't say that. I didn't say it, but I wish I did. I'd like to say it more. And now, much like, uh, what was that guy's name? Kevin Martin? <laughs> the, uh, the tweeter? Uh, oh, to, Kevin Mitchell? Kevin Mitchell. I'm sorry, Kevin Mitchell. Um, I didn't have that in front of me. Uh, much like Kevin Mitchell, it just makes me want to do it more. I just want to do it more now. I'm, I get the Matt Berkey thing. I understand where he's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. We've reached a level of understanding on this podcast, and that's really all we were going for. Yeah. Cool. We got a cool hand taking place here. I will say that. We do. We do. And uh, young Addenborough over here is going to like the turn, which is the Queen of Spades. Pot is $24,700. Queen of Spades is the turn. Giving Addenborough the nut flush with ace seven of spades. Berkey's got nine six of hearts for trips. And uh, Wong hates this card with a fiery passion with two red jacks on the uh, queen ten six six three spade board. Wong's I mean, basically ha- done with it, right? It's like, there's yeah. no way I'm winning this hand now. Right. I mean, I mean, he hates it, but he also knew when he gets, th- when he gets two callers behind him, he's behind sometimes anyway. Like, 
Yeah. He's not in great. Like, in some ways, this card gives him an excuse not to have to make any tough decisions. You know what I mean? Like, if a True. the deuce of diamonds comes, I guess you have to fire again to charge the, the spades, I guess. But it sucks. And what do you do when Matt Berkey raises you on the turn? Like, I don't know, honestly. I guess you call. It sucks. Like, maybe you just check the turn anyway and let, let the other guys fire for you. But, like, whatever. You just, it's just so straightforward to fold here, which is what, assuming anyone puts any chips in. It's so easy. So that's nice. Yeah, well, he doesn't get the opportunity because it checks around. Yeah. So we're going to have to talk about this. Let's talk about Berkey's first. I mean, Wong's check makes some... I think the checks make sense less the chronologically like as we go like Wong's check makes the most sense that was a well said sentence and I'm gonna I'm gonna I, ch- you know, cherish that one it's going up on my wall sometimes buddy. sometimes I don't speak perfectly okay it's fine yeah at least I use the word chronologically that's a long word it is so long that makes me it is long yeah that's yeah. all I can say it is it's good yeah anyway Wong checks the jacks Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Berkey checks his trip sixes. What do you think about this? Should he be betting? And if he is, to what end? I don't think he should be betting. I think Attenborough's got a lot of lot of spades here. Like, a lot. What else? I mean, yeah. sure, he can have a 10 sometimes. But if we bet, we're going to fold out a 10 anyway, unless it's like ace-10 with the ace of spades in his hand, you know? Unless he's got a big spade along with the 10, it's just not going to work out. We're chopping with all the other sixes anyway, at least pretty much at this point, right? Or we're going to be like, I just don't know. It's the queen of spades. Yeah, we're chopping with pretty much all the sixes anyway. I don't know how we get any value by betting. I don't like betting here at all. I think we should absolutely check as Berkey. Yeah, I agree. So does Berkey. He checks. Yeah. All right, let's get to the most difficult check to figure out. The Attenborough check. He does have the nut flush. This check is dangerous for a couple of reasons. and, And most, well, I guess the main reason that these reasons encompasses you might miss out on value based on whatever the river is, or you might lose based on whatever the river is. You know, the yep. a 10 could come, a queen could come that could kill you. Uh, a spade could come and that just sucks. Like you're never getting value if a spade comes, right? Um, seems, well, I guess someone could have the king of spades in their hand and give you a street value, but that's probably maybe the jack. If of spades Berkey, like if Berkey had king 10 with the king of spades or jack 10 with the, the jack of way. spades, they checks to you on the river. You bet the other guy, Wong folds, and Berkey's like, I call. I've got the jack of spades. You know, I got the third nuts. Yeah. I call. Or the third nut flush, I call. Do you think Do you think Berkey would check the turn with the jack 10 with the jack of spades? Um, I think he probably would. He has, like, enough showdown value to do it. He doesn't know where he is against Wong anyway. He might very, very well be losing to Wong. Um, I think Adrian having a flush is something that's vi- you just have to very strongly consider here when he calls on the flop, and then this card comes. Uh, so I don't, I don't think Berkey would bet. It's not impossible. Berkey does things I wouldn't do. So maybe, and, and, and I certainly think Berkey over, overvalues his hands sometimes. We've seen him do it like against Jungle Man with Kings. I'm sorry, with Ace Jack on a Jack High board in a cash game where he check raised all in on the turn and Jungle Man finally folded an overpair, which was Kings. But it seemed like Berkey was doing that for value, not as a bluff or anything like that. It seemed like, it seemed like just bad. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about his intentions there. Um, I'll acknowledge I could be wrong. I don't think so, but I could be. Uh, so I don't think Berkey's betting Jack-10. I wouldn't consider betting Jack-10 with the Jack of Spades. Let me say that. Would you? No, I don't think so. But that also doesn't constitute a huge part of his range. I mean, so, like, it's not a... Ultimately, what I'm trying to say is, like, we we certainly may... There's a lot of cards that will kill all of our hopes and dreams on the river mm. if 
we have the nut flush here and we decide not to bet. Yeah. Yeah, as Adrian. That's the part that's weird. Yeah. Um, you would think we could bet to get called by hands that have a spade in them. Uh, if, Berkey, if Berkey has a six, he's going to be forced to call. It's yeah. possible everyone's just going to fold. Like Wong has an overpair without a spade, he's going to fold. Berkey has a 10 without a spade, he's probably going to fold too, honestly. Um, and that's going to happen a fair amount. But it's going to be hard to get value from those hands on the river anyway. Maybe we can get some value, though. I guess the idea is you're just trying to get a street of value out of one of these guys, and you're afraid it's not going to work. I would rather be building a pot with a hand this strong, personally. My guess, uh, to take the other side of it, as to what Attenborough is doing, is to try to rep a 10 without a spade himself yeah. and hope that one of his opponents decides, once everybody checks the turn, that it's safe to go for value with a pretty strong hand that's not as strong as the nut flush, a hand that would strongly consider folding to a turn bet. Or at least would not give turn and river action, mm-hmm. like Berkey's, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think I think... He's assuming or believing that he often is only going to get one street of value anyway. That street is much more easily come by on the river than on the turn, where when you bet, you're repping the flush, and it makes sense that you have a flush, and it's going to be hard to get the action. Um, Now, let me ask this. If Adrian Attenborough had jack 10 with the jack of spades, and it checks to him here, do you think he would bet, and should he bet? First of all, I don't think he's Matt Berkey. I don't think he has that preflop. Right. I'm going to go with That's that as my point. first thing. How about ace 10 with the ace of so, spades? He might have that. I think he would bet. I would yeah. expect most players to bet that hand. Me yeah. too. I think it's a bet. And it's a bet where when you get called, you just don't have to put any more chips in on the river if you don't improve. You're like, okay, yeah. I don't know where I am. Especially, like, maybe if Berkey calls, we could decide to go for value sometimes, trying to get a worse time to call like King 10 with the King of Spades or something. But if Wong calls, we probably just never put another chip in the pot unless we improve. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's cool. So I, I think maybe maybe this plays all about Berkey. Maybe Edinburgh is thinking like, let's just give Berkey another shot to put money in the pot in case he's like has some weird float play and he decided this card was too bad for his play. Maybe if we check, it's like, uh, you know, the, the red red flag in front of a bull, you know, and yeah. he just can't help himself. And, you know, when you when you do something deceptive like this, which you're not going to do very often, I would assume. But And Berkey's in the hand. Obviously, Berkey's paying attention to all this. Probably everyone is. But Berkey's like hyper-aware of this kind of stuff, I got to think. You know what starts beeping? The Berkometer. You know, it's like... The Berkometer does start beeping. We, we, might, we might induce some Berkey craziness if we, if we really downplay the value of our hand on the turn. Now, I don't think you, could, you should make a check hoping for that, but that could factor in a little bit and make a check a little bit better. The fact that maybe Berkey will do something nutty, you know? Yeah, I mean, it adds to your expected value a little bit that yeah. Berkey's in the hand and that he's a guy very willing to put money in without having it yeah. when he sees weakness. So, yeah, that's what Edinburgh does. I can't, I don't, I don't think it's a knock on him that he checks. I don't think it's necessarily a bad play. It's just notable and not something you'd typically see. Mostly you see a flush bet here. I think mostly you should be betting. I think it's probably, if, I mean, you have to look at, of course, the whole the range in your whole hand and you have to balance and all these things. So you can't always bet the nut flush here. If you always bet the nut flush, you're going to be easy to play against, against really, really good players. Um, but you should mostly be betting the nut flush here. For, and that's probably the optimal, most profitable play. But one of the things that makes it most profitable is that sometimes you can check it too. So then it's a little harder to know what you're doing with it, right? Like that's part of the balance. Yeah. Indeed. Anyway, he checks. Okay. Rivers of three of clubs. Nice, nice run out for the ace seven of spades there. Yep. Very safe card. Doesn't scare anybody else off either. Pretty sweet. Board now reads 10, 10, 6, queen, 3 with three spades. Um, Wong checks again because he's just done with this. Makes sense. 
terrible. Run out for two red jacks once the turn comes. Should Berkey go for value? Oh, man, it's close. So it's hard. Like, is a 10 going to call if he bets? Okay, if he's going to go for value, he's got to be going for value against Wong, I would think. That's the guy we'd assume he'd be Wong could have aces. Yeah, that's right. Wong could have aces or kings. So he probably should because because freaking Attenborough, if he's got a 10, is probably just going to check it back, right? Like, yeah, I'd be worried about him checking it back anyway on this board where Wong has some overpairs for sure or hit the queen or whatever, you know, like he doesn't, he's got ace queen. If somehow, if he, if he actually bet the flop and was crazy, he can, Wong has calls in him here. I assume Attenborough doesn't and Wong does, but that's fine. If it, if it, that's so much better than a checking through, which you just got to think Attenborough is going to check a 10 too often. Berkey should bet. Yeah. Yeah. Because if Edinburgh is not betting a 10, he's probably also folding a 10 if Berkey bets, but that's fine. This yeah. is really designed to get called by an overpair from Wong and use your reputation to maybe get called more often than other people might get called. I mean, an overpair is still going to struggle to call here, but it's going to check through so often that we should try and go for value. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no value to be had for Matt Berkey. No. He does go for it, though. Bets 15K into 24-7. Okay. Uh, Attenborough pretty much has to raise, right? Even though the board's paired, he's underrepped. Fuck it's yeah. Matt Berkey. We got to raise. 100% we have to raise. Like 150 million percent we have to raise. Berkey can absolutely have flushes. Berkey can have sixes. I don't know. Who knows what else Berkey can have? Berkey can do weird things. He's Matt Berkey. We have to raise. Attenborough does. He raises to 50K. And uh, Wong's out of there real For fast. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, maybe that check on the turn worked out for Attenborough. Because now, like, what are you putting him on if you're Berkey? What do you think he has? Wow. Um, here are some possibilities that make sense to me. 7-6, um, and he's turning his hand into a bluff because he doesn't know where he's at, and he just wants to clean it all up and take the whole pot rather than chop with another 6. Or... I don't know if he's... Is he going to successfully fold out a flush? I don't think he's going to successfully fold out a flush. No. Okay, so 7-6 isn't that likely. Also, I, if we're Berkey, he, there's only one combo of that anyway, right? Because it'd only be 7-6 suited, I assume. So that's not, that's not very much, even if I'm right. If he decides to turn a bluff, which he doesn't have to do, uh, he could just call with that. Uh, mm-hmm. What else? I guess he could have ace-10 with the ace of spades and choose not to bet it on the turn sometimes. Um, besides that, it would have to be a flush, right? Like, it's almost always a flush that checked the turn when he raises. What else could it be? Yeah, because it's hard to think of random bluffs. Like, ace-10 with the ace of spades is a bluff that makes a lot of sense. You block full houses and you block the nut flush. 6-3 suited, maybe? Once again, at best, there's one combo. Does Berkey even... Which six well, that is... Yeah, there's... Nope, we can't even... I don't think that even exists. It doesn't even exist in the world. And it that would be happen. a full house anyway. That's what I'm saying. No, I'm saying you're saying, what are we yeah. putting him on? That was like... Because it's hard to put him on strong value or on, on bluffs. It's hard to put him on anything. I think it's harder to put him on a bluff than it is to put him on value. Because, like, the only bluffs that I can come up with are is, like, what you said, like, 7-6 suited, where he's turning it into a bluff to try to fold out a chop because he thinks Berkey would have bet a flush on the turn. Maybe he can have That a, seems ambitious. Maybe he can have a 10 and be like, well, Berkey... I block 10s full a little bit, and Berkey once in a while might flat with 10s. Once in a while, I might flat with 10s, so... That's cool. I don't know. That's it. That's thin. That's I agree. pretty thin. I agree. That feels thin. I think I think it 
ultimately I would land on value seems a lot more likely than a bluff. Yeah. Like I think so. I'm more likely to give him the, uh, the unusual check on the turn with a flush than I'm willing to give him a check on the turn with ace 10 with the ace of spades and now turning into a bluff. I'm more likely to give him the flush than that. Yeah. I think he's going to bet the ace 10, like we were saying with the ace of spades on the turn a lot anyway, like we were talking about and he can call with that if he wants to, although he probably doesn't want to call with that. That's a hand that I could understand what that's kind of maybe the best bluffing hand though. Ace 10 with the ace of spades in this case, right? Um, It is. So maybe he picks that and does go with it. But okay, that's still, there aren't that many combos of it. Like, right, there's three combos. Or so something. as Berkey then, should, fol- should folding and raising be the only two options? Like, is calling bad here if we can't think of too many bluffs? Well, if we can't think of bluffs, what do we think the bottom of the raising range is? Sorry, of Attenborough's raising it, range. It might be any flush he has based on the turn action. Maybe. I mean, Berkey can really have flushes still, too, right? Yeah. So maybe not baby flushes, but like any kind of reasonable flush. Maybe jack high flush. Something like that. Okay. Um, Do we think we're going to fold out the jack high? Because you're saying raising or folding. Are we going to successfully fold out the jack high flush if we re-raise? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Um, I mean, it can't beat any value. But if if we are raising, we're trying to fold out either... Like, we don't think Edinburgh's raising a six suited now, no. right, on the river. I mean, that would be a pretty sick play, but it seems super weird to do that. Like, I think it's probably more profitable to call with a six suited and hope that Wong calls behind with two kings or something like that. Make it look really hard, take your time, call, and then hope, hope Wong just, like, rolls his eyes and puts the chips in with kings and hope he's good, you know? Get the over, go yeah. for the overcall rather than this weird, very thin value play where... Berkey might fold worse sixes and call with all flushes. You know, we might game theory disaster ourselves here. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I feel like uh, Edinburgh has a lot of flushes. So the question becomes, should we fold or should we raise? It sounds like you want to fold, even though it seems like a hero fold. But Berkey is known for his hero folds. He is. I mean, I think, we, I think he maybe has ace-10 with the ace of spades sometimes. So that's something we can beat. True. So we can at least consider calling because that's a hand. Maybe King 10 with the King of Spades too. Although I don't know if he's really called flatting with that pre, but maybe. He's deep, he's on the button. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know anything about this. It's guy. a much worse bluffing. It's a much worse bluffing hand than Ace 10 with the Ace of Spades. It is a much. But it's still but still you have a blocker. Yeah. You have two blockers even. It's still a, it's like the second best bluffing hand, at least, right? Unless you think Ace 6 with the Ace of Spades is the best one, but that feels like it's too good a hand to to bluff with anyway. Uh yeah, I mean, but we also have to see, like, we have to, he's not going to pull the trigger every time he has those hands, if right. he does have those hands. Right. I mean, the other thing Feels is this, rare. like, Berkey called on the flop. Berkey usually has a six or a flush when he bets the river, right? Like, if he, he is yeah. a six, a flush, or a ten almost always here. I guess he could have, like, two sevens and be bluffing, but... He's, he's folding the flop with two sevens. Who cares anyway? How do we not beat two sevens as Attenborough when we call the flop ourselves? Even if we're bluffing now, yeah. we're still beating two sevens. There's no need to race. Right. I'm not sure that we have very many bluffs here except for like the ace-ten with the ace of spades and maybe king-ten with the king of spades. I don't know if there's... And definitely not every time that we have it. Right. Not every time. And we're going to bet those sometimes on the turn anyway. Both those hands. Sometimes on the turn. Yeah. So that cuts it down even more. 
So you think Berkey should just fold? I guess I think Berkey should just fold. Uh, yeah. Feels like a fold. Well, I think Berkey came to the same conclusion that we did, but he is, he, he's, his barometer is going off. So instead of folding, he shoves for 130K effective. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is uh, different. That's, it's interesting to come to the same conclusion and decide to put, you know, an extra $115,000 in more than we would have after coming up with the same conclusion. Well, this is why Berkey is very interesting because yes. he takes his shots. He's like, all right, I'm not ahead often enough to call, but I do block full houses. So let's go. Let's rep a full house ourselves. But here, at, that's what Berkey's repping, right? Yes. But as you like to point out sometimes that there aren't really any full houses you're actually blocking really, right? Like the six... Like six three suited, I guess we block, but like six ten suited, six yeah. queen suited aren't in play. We block pocket sixes, right. we block quads, cool. Like we're not really blocking full houses in any real way here. No, we are not. Maybe six three suited, but oh I think I already figured it out. Like as Berkey, we would know yeah. that that's impossible to even exist. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. But no, but then there's no full houses to block, right? It doesn't matter. So that's actually it's not as cool as it seems because of that. Well, then you could take it to the next level and say, well, I'm the guy who can have full houses and he can't. What full houses Unless do he you has... have as Berkey? 6-3 suited, exactly? Queen 6 suited, 10-6 suited. <laughs> like, we're Berkey. Give me a break. I mean, What okay. makes you think he doesn't have those hands? Right, right. I mean, fine, but then he can do that whether he has a 6 in his hand or not. Right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. So I don't think this blocker matters is, uh, is what I'm getting to, even though it looks like it matters. I don't think it yeah, actually is has any salience to this hand. So if we don't have a, a useful blocker and the guy is raising, we think he's mostly got value here, if not entire value, probably we should just fold and not make this cool, but psycho play. <laughs> I think, I think that's right. And I think that is supported by the fact that Edinburgh d- takes no time before calling. He's just like, Oh, it's yeah, of course I call him. It's Matt Burke. Yeah. I'm under rep. I call. The question is what if he had a different hand, right? What if he had the nine high flush? First of all, is he raising the nine high flush? I don't know if he is. Um, but let's say he decided... We were saying jack high flushes. We felt like he pretty much had yeah. to raise. But let's, let's drop it down a little bit. He's like, it's Berkey. He can have a six. He can have worse flushes. Whatever. I'm going to raise this nine high flush. I can't not. And then you get raised here. I guess you could say, well, this is the very bottom of my range. I'm going to fold this one. Right? But that's it. Like, I fold... You could, but as Berkey, if that were my thought process, my concern would be that Edinburgh's most likely checks on the turn that are now flushes are the not flush. Because they right. they fear the next spade coming way less than all of the rest of the flushes. Yeah. You'd expect that if, if Edinburgh had 8-9 of spades, he's betting the turn. Yes. Like, let's not just give a free card with the 8-9 of spades. I agree. I agree with you completely. 8-9 um, of spades, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. 8-9 of spades may even decide to raise the flop sometimes, by the way. Yeah, for um, sure. Even though the, you, know, you might be up against hands that aren't folding. It's not as bad. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's got a lot of nut flushes when he has flushes. Uh, he doesn't have many full houses either, and that's cool, except no. that means he's got a lot of nut flushes and some bluffs. I don't think we should expect we can fold out the nut flush. We see we don't. Um, and if he's got a bluff, I, it seems like raising may be really bad here based on as we're breaking it down now, as it feels like, well, he's got hands that he's never folding and hands that we're already beating when we raise. So that doesn't seem like a good time to raise. I mean, Berkey, in Berkey's mind, maybe he thinks he can fold out the nut flush sometimes, but the problem is what he's representing because he's saying he has a full house or quads. And Berkey didn't three-bet preflop, which makes it a lot less likely as queens or tens. He never has pocket threes, 
Right. Right. Never. And if he has a full house with a six in it, it has to be a terrible hand, which sure, Berkey plays terrible hands preflop sometimes, but Wong did five X. Like he's not likely to have queen six, right? He probably doesn't have queen six. I think it's six, three suited is the only one I think, but there's only from, from everyone's point one of view, combo. there's only one combo of that in the world. So yeah. who cares? Right. I mean, uh, the fact that Edinburgh calls really quickly makes it seem like this is a bad play by Berkey. Now, maybe certain players are weak enough and are going to fold the nut flush here when Berkey three bets because they, sh- they can't beat any value, right? Even Berkey, who yeah. overvalues hands famously, isn't going to be taking the king high flush and raising all in here, right? No. That seems crazy. He's calling. He's yeah. calling. So yeah. we're only beating bluffs, but Berkey's capable of bluffing for sure, and it's unlikely he's got full houses. I think this check on the turn by Edinburgh gets him all the money. I think ultimately that's what happens. I think it does too. I think if he bets the turn, Berkey may call. Berkey may even call turn and river, but that's it. Berkey's not putting in any more money after that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Berkey's check-raising all in on the river anyway because he's got a six and is thinking there's blocker value or or some other reason that I can't think of because he separates everything into four different quantitative boxes and talks about them that way. Maybe. Uh, Ultimately, it seems to me like Berkey got caught up in the blocker that was not actually as important as it may seem and thinking that he could rep a full house when when his opponent was mostly capped at a flush, but not really recognizing that he doesn't have a way to represent a full house very well based on the board and the way the hand played out. It's not an ideal representation of a full house. Now, Attenborough, uh, he checked the turn. That was interesting. Certainly not bad, but interesting and a little unusual. Uh, he does make a pretty big mistake in this hand, though, and it's that he calls quickly. And it's it's not because that he needs to think about it or anything like that. I think this is always a call against Matt freaking Berkey in this spot. Um, but you have to make it look like this is really hard to induce future Matt Berkey-ness, you know? And, like, if it yeah. you call this quickly, it's like Berkey's going to be like, oh, my God, this guy has a plan against me. This isn't good. Like, I can't do all my crazy Matt, Mer- Matt Berkey stuff all the time against this guy. I'm going to have it more often against this guy instead of like, he almost folded the nut flush. Oh, my God, I'm so unlucky. I wish he had the jack high flush. He would have folded it when that's just not true. But he doesn't know. We make yeah. it look like it's really hard. This is a Dan, This is what Dan Zach, we think, anyway, is doing to Garrett Adelstein sometimes. And I think that, I think it really helps induce this stuff. Yep, I agree. That Especially if this session is going to go a while longer. You're on Matt Berkey's left. You're both super deep stacked your best expected value in the session is, is having Berkey make plays like this when you have it. Yeah. Right. So you want to induce that to continue. So I agree. That was a mistake, but overall it's cool that Edinburgh clearly had a plan. He's like, Oh yeah, I can't fold. I mean, yeah. Mo- mo- against most players, you can't fold when you're so under up, but especially against a player like Matt Berkey. Yeah. Music is my sunlight, and all I need is one mic. And I can show every single MC how it's done right. Every time I come by, I'm bound to leave them so tired. I'm sipping on liquor, a quitter is what I'm not. We got one life, and I took a minor break, but I'm back to claim the throne. And gonna be traveling the globe, we still have time to make it.